few weeks back, I was working some 90 kilometres south of Bollin, and the wireless in the truck was set on 585 2WEB. Now, you know you're a long way from home when the best radio station to listen to is Burke. Um, now, I, I don't know who it was, but um, there was some talkback thing happening, you know, something after the vein of, of John Laws or Alan Jones or someone like that, you know, the type of thing where whoever wants to can ring up and, and um, say whatever they like and over the course of the morning um, or afternoon the presenter voices their opinions over and over again with an appropriate level of indignation on some current event that's taken place. I can't remember what had happened, but, but there was something that involved some ethnic group who'd fled their own country and now they'd made their home in, in, in Australia, but now they were protesting violently in our streets, in this country, about things that they wanted to change here. And of course the talk back and the talking head were all over it. They'd, and they'd probably say some of the things that we'd like to say. Um, you know, if you want to live in this country, well, you live by our rules. Uh, you know, if it's so good the way it, way it is back in your own home, well, feel free to go back there. We, we like things the way it is here. Australians do things the Australian way. We have our rules. We have our ways. We have our laws. And if you want to call the Commonwealth of Australia home, well, you agree to live as an Australian. Alright, so you've probably heard that sort of stuff happening on the Wallace before. Well, this morning, I want you to consider what it means to live as citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. You and I are not just Australians. We're Christians. And as Christians, we belong not so much anymore to the Commonwealth of Australia as what we do to the Kingdom of Heaven. And the kingdom of heaven has very different values to the country that we live in. And just as there is an expectation that those who choose to call Australia home will live by Australian values, there is an absolute necessity for those who take on the name of Christ, for those who now belong to this kingdom of heaven, to live by kingdom values. Now, over the next few months, we're going to be working our way through the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus gave it all in one hit. And I don't know, if, I think I've done it twice since I've been in St George, where I've actually just, for the sermon, I've actually just read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, has any of you been there for that? Yeah? I sort of save that for when I've had a really busy week or something and I haven't had time to write a message. But it's really powerful to hear the whole thing in one go and, and we'll be doing that sometime as well. But um, this sermon is the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount is a great manifesto of kingdom living. And today we're just taking the first 12 verses, what we know as the Beatitudes. Uh, Billy Graham calls them the beautiful attitudes uh, because that's what they are. The Beatitudes are where Jesus addresses the char- our character the attitudes of our heart. Now, as we start out, um, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up um, and follow along. I, I haven't. We'll be putting some notes up there, but uh, the first couple of verses we often just tend to skip over because um, we think of them as the introduction, and well, we're not interested in the introduction. We want to get to the guts of it. 
but to the Jewish reader, the first few verses are actually the keys to the guts of it. They're really important. You see, Jesus climbed a mountain and we think, so what? So what? That doesn't sound very important to us. But to the Jew, they know that 1,300 years earlier, Moses climbed a mountain. And from that mountain, he brought down the, the laws of God, the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus, on the side of a mountain, brings to us the law of the kingdom. And the law of the kingdom is not, as some would suggest, a law in opposition to the Ten Commandments. The law of the kingdom is about the attitudes of our heart and getting our attitudes to line up with God's law. Right? That the old way was we had to abide by all these rules and regulations. But Jeremiah told us that there was a time he said, God said through Jeremiah, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. That's Jeremiah 31, if anybody's wanting to look that up. It's about our character. It's, a, it's about what characterises the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Right? Now, we all know that there's something that characterises Australians. We have an Australian way, don't we? But tell you what, there's something that characterises the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus sits down, as a Jewish teacher would, and he teaches. And he teaches us the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And as he does this, he gives us eight verses of poetry, followed by a short conclusion. Now, sadly, we've lost the poetic feel to the Beatitudes because the words in our Bibles are translated correctly, not poetically. But these are actually words of poetry. Do you know how to tell when you're reading poetry in the Bible? When it's written in the original language, if it's actually poetry, if you open up your Bibles, most of them will have these verses indented. So if you have a look at the Psalms as the best place and the easiest place to see it, you'll see that it's indented. And that's to show you that in, its, in the original language, in the original Hebrew, that that was actually poetry. And you'll find that also with a lot of the prophets. And a lot of the prophecies that were delivered were delivered in poetry. And the reason for this, and, and it's a very simple reason for this, is when God wants to transmit facts to us, he just uses prose, but when he's telling you the feelings of his heart, then he uses poetry. So you just keep that in mind next time you're reading your Bible. If you see some stuff indented, know that it's a poem or a song that you're actually reading in its original language. But can you imagine just how beautiful, I mean, they're nice enough as it is, the Beatitudes. But imagine how beautiful they'd be in poetry. I gave it a bit of a go. Uh, Blessed are those with spirit poor, for to them the heavenly kingdom be. Blessed are those with sorrow mourn, for comfort shall their sorrow flee. Now, I'm sure Jesus did it much better than that. Um, but, yeah, just, just realise that it's actually a thing of beauty. And God's word often is. So, what does it all mean, this new law of the kingdom? Well, the first thing I want you to realise is that this is about what we are and not just about what we do. And this moves it out of the control of the human and into the control of God. Because you see, you and I cannot control what we are. 
To a greater or lesser extent, we can control what we do, but we can't control what we are. And this teaching of Jesus shows us how the human life, what we are, is transformed when we have a commitment to the King of Heaven. When we have a commitment to the King, God changes things. God changes lives. He changes attitudes. Paul talks about it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit growing in our heart, producing within our lives the very character of God, the character of God becoming our character. So don't go reading these Beatitudes as something that you have to do in order to get to heaven. That's all back to front. Understand them that they are attitudes of heaven that in Christ we receive. Okay. Righto. So each of these Beatitudes begins with the words blessed. Or if you use an older version of the Bible, you might, they might use the word happy. And, and that's a fair way of, of um, translating that, the word, either blessed or happy. But what we have to understand is that it's not some kind of emotional happiness. It's not a happiness that depends on our mood of the day. It's not a happiness that depends upon our outward circumstances. To be blessed is to be made happy by God. It's the spiritual joy of relationship with God. It means that ultimately it will be well with the one who is blessed. And there's two elements to this blessing. There's the blessedness of the here and the now... And there's the blessedness of the coming kingdom. right? You know, as we read the Bible, we realise that the kingdom of God is something that's still to come. But it's also something that's already breaking into this world now. And it's the same for our lives. We have this blessedness now, and some of it, the reason is because of our status now, and some of it is because of the coming kingdom that is still coming. A young child had his first ever ride in a lift, and he later told his friends about it. He said, we, we, we got into this little room and the door closed and the upstairs came down. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what it's like being a Christian. We get into Christ and heaven comes down and glory fills our soul. I don't know why we should ever see long faces in church. Uh, When we come to church, we come to worship with joy the one who has given us the kingdom of heaven. Christian life isn't a life of drudgery. There's tough times in the Christian life, but it's not a life of drudgery. Christian life is a life of joy. And some of us need to rediscover that joy. If you're not feeling that joy, well, start asking God for it. Blessed, happy are those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes this joy is an absolute contradiction of the circumstances we find in, find ourselves in. Our whole world can be falling apart and yet we can still have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Why? Why are we so blessed? Why should we be so happy in Christ? Well, verse 3 tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that can sound a bit contradictory, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice how it says poor in spirit. It doesn't say spiritually poor. 
There's nothing blessed about having a weak prayer life. There's nothing blessed about leaving your Bible up on the bookshelf for weeks on end. There's nothing blessed about a godless existence. A life devoid of God is never a blessing. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean to be spiritually poor. To be poor in spirit means to come to the realisation that apart from God, we're spiritually bankrupt. It's a broken and a crushed spirit. A person who realises that spiritually they are in absolute poverty is at the first step to the kingdom of heaven. And until we come to the realisation that without God we're nothing, well, God can do nothing with us. And so we all have to become poor in spirit before we can come into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. I don't think there's a lot I have to explain about this one. I hope you know as well as I do, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us hope for eternity. Um, But let me give you a little bit of information about Matthew. The gospel of Matthew was received and read by a church who suffered. They were a church who knew what it meant to mourn. Christians in the early church were persecuted. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were crucified. They were boiled in oil. They had much to mourn. And yet they were blessed. They were comforted. They were comforted because they share the common hope that you and I share. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who promises us a future beyond this life, a future beyond our current experience. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who brings us eternal life. And therefore, blessed are those who mourn. I mean, our hearts go out to those who mourn. But if you're a Christian and you mourn a Christian, blessed are those who mourn. There's something very different about a Christian funeral. I know when I was first going into Bible study, Bible college, my greatest fear was what am I going to do when I have my first funeral for a non-Christian? And I still hate it. A Christian funeral is a celebration of the new life to come. A Christian funeral acknowledges our current sadness but looks forwards with a great confidence to the joy of the resurrection. And so blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. Um, God likes us to quote our Bibles. Jesus used to do it. And this is a quote from Psalm 37. Um, And when we know what it refers to in Psalm 37, we have a better idea of what it means to be meek. Uh, The meek are those who hold their temper. Even in the face of evil and adversity, the meek do not lash out. Instead, they put their hope in God. Psalm 37, reading from verse 7, says this, Be still before Yahweh, And wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger 
and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in Yahweh will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Blessed are the meek. The meek are those who put their faith in God, even when that doesn't make sense. Now the world has a very different set of values. The world would say blessed are the pushy, because they get ahead in the world. Uh, Blessed are the go-getters, because they make things happen. Blessed are those who make them happen for themselves. Blessed are those who stand up for themselves. But Jesus turns this whole idea on its head and says, blessed are the meek. They mightn't have the earth yet, but they will. Because we're going to inherit it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I've never known what it means to be hungry. You can tell that by looking at me. Um, I've gone without food for a week. I know what it means to have a good appetite after a big day's work. But I don't know what it truly means to be hungry. Um, In the Antarctic summer of 1908, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel to the South Pole. They set off with four ponies to help carry the load, but weeks later, their ponies dead, rations all but exhausted, they turned back towards the base. And on the return journey, Shackleton records, the time was spent talking about food, elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus. As they staggered along, not knowing whether they would survive, every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. Jesus fresh from his 40-day fast in the desert, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we look at Shackleton's obsession with food, can you catch a bit of a glimpse of the passion that Jesus has that he intends for our quest for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, most of us feel a bit of a desire for righteousness, Particularly if we've been badly done by ourselves, we want somebody to step in with a bit of justice for the situation. We want somebody to intervene and correct the wrong that's been done to us. But to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for righteousness full stop. It's a hunger for us to live righteously ourselves and it's a thirst to see righteousness breaking into the world in every sphere of society. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? To see the right thing done everywhere. I don't know, we we look at the news and we see injustice all over the world. But there is a time when that's going to come. Jesus Christ is returning and he's going to bring complete righteousness and then we'll have our fill of righteousness. Verse 7 Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown mercy. 
The story is told of a mother who sought from Napoleon, of all people, the pardon of her son. And the emperor said, well, it's his second offence and justice demands his death. I don't ask for justice, his mother said. I plead for mercy. He does not deserve mercy. Sir, cried the mother, it would not be mercy if he deserved it and mercy is all I ask. Well then, said the emperor, I will show mercy. And the son was saved. It's not often we hear a good story about Napoleon, but that is an illustration of mercy. The merciful are those who forgive when forgiveness is not deserved. That's what makes God a merciful God. Later in this same sermon, Jesus actually teaches us the Lord's Prayer. All right, so we'll be getting to the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that was part of the Sermon on the Mount? Some of you do? Well, we'll be getting to that. But something which gets glossed over in the Lord's Prayer, and I think as we repeat it, we actually don't understand the, the full impact and weight of what it is that we're saying. And it's explained at the end, where Jesus concludes the Lord's Prayer, he says, For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then there's a but. And this is the bit that I think most of us don't take a lot of notice of. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will say, oh, that's okay. Is that what it says? It says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. They're pretty heavy words. Jesus said them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The kingdom of heaven is a merciful kingdom. The king of heaven is a merciful king. How should the citizens of heaven be? Merciful. Showing forgiveness where it's not deserved. Because we have been forgiven by Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Anybody here want to see God? Put up your hand if you want to see God. Yeah. Shortly, shortly he says. Give, give me time. Yeah. But it's only those with a pure heart who will see God. And that's what makes this verse the whole crux of the Beatitudes. See, your heart can only be made pure by God. I'm reminded of Psalm 51 where David prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. A pure heart is a creation. It can only be created. And there is only one creator. Before I knew Jesus Christ as my saviour, my heart was not pure. Before I experienced the mercies and the saving grace of God, my heart was not pure. My heart was filthy. And if it is pure now, it is only because God has created it so. It's not because I've managed to do something to make it pure. And that's got to be your story too. You will not see God. You will not have any part in this kingdom of heaven 
unless we repent of our sin and submit to him and allow our Lord to purify us, to make us pure, then we get to see the kingdom of we get to see God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Most people think of peace as the absence of war or the absence of trouble. But the biblical concept of peace is much more than that. To wish somebody peace is to wish for them good and not just the absence of evil. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers. doesn't say blessed are the pacifists. It doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. It doesn't say blessed are the peaceful. It says blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they will be called sons of God. Because if you are a peacemaker, you're following in the footsteps of God. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And sometimes out of a desire for peace, we let troubles build and build rather than confronting them. Well, the peacemaker doesn't do that. The peacemaker takes an active role in bringing reconciliation. They work to build peace. They don't just shove problems under the carpet. They pull the carpet back and say, right, here's here's what's causing us trouble. Let's address these issues and together with God make peace. They work to build peace. They don't just ignore a sore and let it fester. So let your heavenly Father make you into a son of God, to be a peacemaker. Last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I don't think Jesus would have made a very good salesman. He's too honest. Way too honest. It would be like a car salesman saying, great car, buy this car. Really, really expensive service costs. Um, The tyres are absolutely shoddy, but you can always replace them. You, you you, You wouldn't sell too many cars, would you? Some people believe that when you become a Christian, all of your troubles in life are just going to disappear. Well, give these folk time and they'll be disappointed. Because Jesus didn't promise us a bed of roses, he promised us a cross of nails. He didn't promise us wealth, he didn't promise us friends, he didn't promise us status in society. Far from it. He told us that we would suffer for our faith. He told us that we would be insulted. He told us there would be all sorts of accusations thrown at us. Things that weren't even true would be said about us. He said, people will hate you because of me. Yay, let's become a Christian. Have you ever experienced that? I have. Probably more in the last eight months than ever before in my life. 
when you're obedient to God, well, that's the time when persecutions will come. Persecutions, ridicule, false accusations, distrust, character assassination. And yet Jesus said, when this happens to you, be happy about it. You're blessed. Blessed? How can persecution be a blessing? I was talking with a um, fellow who had to flee Pakistan. and He's actually a Uniting Church minister now. And um, I said to him, you know, I sometimes find myself wondering if we'd be better off as, if, as Christians in Australia if we had a bit of persecution. Because it seems to me that when the church is persecuted, that's when people get fair dinkum about their faith and, and when it, they really get going and, and everything is really sorts out you know, those who truly believe and those who are just along for the ride. And he said, oh, Michael, never wish for persecution. But you know, we don't wish for persecution. But if you're living for God, You'll get it wherever you are. Nowhere near as extreme as my friend experienced in Pakistan. We're blessed because we're not the first to be persecuted. We follow the prophets who were persecuted. We follow God's Son who was persecuted. We're blessed because although there are troubles in this life, there is reward in the next We're blessed because although the body can be killed, it will be raised. This, my friends, is a Christian faith. And this is why Christians throughout the ages and right now are prepared to die for what they believe. Are you? Might be a very academic question to ask us sitting here with with no zealots around wanting to kill us. But are you willing to die for your faith? Are you someone who will never disown your Lord? Or yours is the kingdom of heaven? So these are the Beatitudes. The beautiful attitudes of the heart. Are they pie in the sky? Remember I said at the start that these aren't things we we have to do in order to be saved. These are the attitudes of God that should be growing and developing in our hearts. Is that pie in the sky? Is it something that can happen? Can my heart really be like that? Can these attitudes really be my attitudes? Tell you what, only by the grace of God they can. Our God is in the business of changing lives. If you don't believe that, well, you might as well give up right now. He's also in the business of changing attitudes. Our part is to cease living for the kingdom of this world and to begin to set our hearts on the kingdom of heaven. That means we've got to get real about what we believe. I had a fellow once ask the question, do you believe that what you really believe is really real? Do you believe that what you really believe is really real? 
What he's asking is, do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe that you're living for the kingdom of heaven and that the kingdom of heaven has this eternal glory? Or are you really somebody who's stuck living for today just hoping that, well, perhaps I'll have a bet each way? Our part is to realise that sometimes the Australian way will be in conflict with the kingdom way. And then we have to allow God to have his way in us, that his attitudes would become our attitudes because his kingdom has become our kingdom. I started last on Easter Sunday it was, saying, well, from now on I'm going to ask any questions. Um, anybody any questions or anything they want to ask or say about, about that? Michael, I've been listening to Joyce and I Battlefield of the Night yep. and I was just thinking of <clears throat> the persecution that comes. It's not all, say, just from zealots or... It's also like we're in a battle, like Satan, you know, and she talks about sort of the battle that we have with our attitude and sort of bringing that to the, what the word says. You know, every day we're sort of attacked, really. Mm. And I guess that's a form of persecution too, of course, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, I actually think that in our country probably our biggest persecution is our own fears that we have. We, we have fears about what people will think of us if we, you know, if, well, if I'm openly Christian and if I openly tell people about Jesus, they're going to think I'm weird. Well, guess what? You are. Okay? Get over that. You are weird. Um, it's like, you know, when you go to another country or something, you know, People go, well, they're very different. Well, we are because we're Australians. Well, to be quite frank, within our own country, people should say, well, he's very different. Well, you are because you're a Christian. Um, and that doesn't mean that, <laughs> that um, we do things out of pride or try to deliberately rub people the wrong way but what it means is that we're always obedient to Christ and always proud of him in everything we do I find that persecution one where I could be shot which would be the easiest way to be a Christian but when to be persecuted they attack your family I think that would be really really hard you know, like are you a Christian chop off your hand your children's hands or yeah. that's persecution and as a parent um the thing which moved me to tears was when I heard the story of one of the early Christian martyrs, I forget her name now, I think it might have been Patacina. And she, this was when the Romans were persecuting the Christians. And she was captured as a Christian and told, deny, deny Jesus and worship Caesar. And she said no. So they took her young child off of her and put that child in the cell next door where she could hear the child crying as it starved to death. And the thing was, all you have to do is deny Jesus and worship Caesar and we will give your child to you. And she didn't. Now, what would you do? What would you do? Now, I guess that actually highlights for me what is my God? 
And culturally, so many Christians will put family first, God second. Well, that's the wrong way around. God has to be first. If God isn't first, God isn't Lord. And these are the tough decisions that people, real people, have to actually make. down to that question, that roundabout question, do you believe that what you believe is really real? That's, that, that's, what, that's what you're saying. And, yeah. and, and that is actually a battle for the mind, not the battle for emotions. You, you actually have to know that in your head. Yeah. And the scripture says, and the Bible says, like if you can, you know, the promises that are there, and that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. What's being promised to us? Eternal attitude, yeah, yes. Exactly. And that is the hardest part for, for us to do, to to begin to truly live with this eternal attitude. Yeah. If the body of believers are living with an eternal attitude, well, yeah, because yeah. I don't know, I don't know if being a pastor or whatever you can um, start to analyse things too much, but I actually think Christians in Australia today. Most don't live with a truly eternal attitude. It's sort of like my Christianity is something that I tack on to to what I really believe is important. Um, hmm. That might sound very judgmental, um, but I think it's probably fair. Yeah. Yes, but. We wouldn't think so. We wouldn't think so. Look, I, I know that I get caught into the here and now thing. Like, yeah. I tell you what, you get you get attacked when you when you when you really change and you're having that more of an attack. Yeah. Oh. Because, I mean, there's nothing. To really start to really be obedient to everything that Christ wants you to do every day, mm. you know what God has planned for you. It's, it's tough. When there's a crowd moving down a hallway this direction, you try moving this direction and see what reaction you'll get. 
and you know, and it's like John 10, 10, reckon that's what, you know, that he just wants to come and destroy and to steal and to break down and to, yeah. 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 And, but praise God for his Holy Spirit and his, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for, for these Beatitudes. We thank you, Lord, that in these Beatitudes that you share your heart with us. Not just for us to know about, but for you to impart your character to us. And Lord, I pray that you would develop these attributes of your character in our hearts more and more every day. Lord, help us to truly be living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May it mean everything to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.